Good morning, brothers and sisters, girls and boys. We extend a warm welcome to everyone who has joined us in church here this morning to worship, to worship our triune God. We also extend a special welcome to any visitors who have joined us this morning here in church, but also all those who are remotely with us via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May God be praised and glorified by our worship this morning. Consistory has the following announcements. As most of you know already by now, we've been advised by Reverend Poppy that after much prayerful consideration, he has accepted the call extended to him by the Free Reformed Church of Carter Brook. For almost 10 years, Reverend Poppy has labored amongst us, and we are deeply grateful for his preaching, his teaching, and his pastoral care in our midst. May God bless his decision. Church visitation will, the Lord willing, take place this coming week, Thursday evening at 7.30 in the consistory room. And this morning, worship service, as well as this afternoon's, will be led by our own pastor, Reverend Poppy. But before we commence the worship service, let us sing together from hymn 48, verse 2. Hymn 48, verse 2. Please rise and let's worship the Lord. Brothers and sisters, as God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise to God. Let's do so by singing from Psalm 98, the verses 1, 2, and 4. 
Brothers and sisters, in a few moments we're going to read together from the book of Malachi. And one of the callings that the Lord gives us in the, in the passage we're going to read is that the Lord says in Malachi 4 verse 4, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Well, in order that we may remember, let us listen to these statutes and rules that the Lord gave to us. And listen to God's law as it comes to us in Deuteronomy 5. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. 
Let's now make confession of our sins. Let's sing together from Psalm 25, the verses 4 and 9. Let's now pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Almighty God and Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the blessings that you give us. Thank you that once again this Sunday morning you invite us into your presence. You do so, Lord, because you love us. You wish to remind us that you are our Father and that we are your sons and daughters. You wish to remind us of the grace that you've extended towards us in Christ. You wish to draw us close to you, that our hearts may respond in love to the, heart, to the love that you have for us. 
Father, thank you for the message of the gospel. Thank you that we may believe in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that you give us a living faith in Christ and that through him that we get to share in you. Thank you, Lord, that we get to put you in the center of our lives, that we may know you and that we may love you, that we may honor you and that we may serve you. We just heard your commandments, Lord, and we had to sing and we had to confess about how we fell short of them. And Father, we are sorry for the sins we have committed. We pray that you would wipe away all our transgressions, that you forgive all our sins. We pray, Lord, that you look upon us in your compassion and that you relieve us of our misery. Father, thank you that, that you delight to do this for us, that you do it in Christ. At the same time, Lord, we, we have to confess to you that at times there's corners of our hearts and there's ways in which we don't love you. There are some times in which we become apathetic towards you. There's times where we get caught up in our culture and we end up putting ourselves in the center of our lives. And then we're, we're not loving you as we should. We're not warm towards you, Lord, but we become lukewarm. We pray that you would please encourage us and strengthen us through the preaching. This is an age-old problem for your people. You addressed it among your people time and again. We pray that, that through the proclamation of the gospel, that we may understand what a great God you are, that we realize the consequences of our actions, that we turn to you, and that we may live. Please convict us with your Holy Spirit. Please show us your grace, and please do it for Jesus' sake. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this morning I have the privilege of preaching to you the, the last verses of chapter 3, Malachi chapter 3, and... The, uh, the verses in chapter 4. In connection with that, just to put it into context, I'd like to read with you actually from Malachi chapter 2. So I invite you to open your Bible with me. Your guest Bible, you can find that on page 500, sorry, 953. So Malachi 2, we're going to start reading at verse 1. Hear the word of God. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you will be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name, True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, 
inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offerings or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did you not make them one with a portion of spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and do not be faithless. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? So far, the reading really gives a sense of the, the situation of the people in Malachi's time. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing of the, the gift that God gives us in his law, in his commandments. He's given us his law in order to reveal himself to us and to draw us close to him. We're going to sing from Psalm 119, the verses 21, 22, and 24.
The text for the sermon this morning is taken from Malachi chapter 3 and 4. We're going to start reading at Malachi 3 verse 13, and we'll read through to the end of chapter 4. So you can find that on page 955 of your guest Bible. So Malachi chapter 3, starting at verse 13. So just before this, the Lord spoke about how the people were robbing him because they were not giving the full tithe. And then in verse 13, the Lord continues, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What, pro- what is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. Then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from from Psalm 56, the verses 1, 3, and 4. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, as an act of great love, the Lord sent his prophet Malachi to his people in order to to warn them and to call them close to him. If you remember the the context here, it had been about 100 years since the people had come back out of exile. Around that time, Haggai and Zechariah had encouraged the people to trust the Lord, to serve him, to rebuild the temple, to worship his name the way the Lord called them to. And over the course of 100 years, the people had become quite apathetic in serving God. And so now, as the last book of the Old Testament, the Lord sent Malachi to them, and he warned them, and he called them back to him. He called them to repent. The sad reality 
is that many of these people have become apathetic in the worship of God. And so what does God do if you become apathetic? How does God handle it if you don't love him or serve him or put him in the center of your life? Well, he doesn't coerce you. He doesn't force you to obey. You know, sometimes we do that as parents. Our kids don't listen to us. And then we say, forget it. You're going to listen. And we force them and we make them. You know, that works when the kids are little. But when the kids get a little bigger, then, then you get more and more resistance. And they give serious pushback. And you can get to the stage that one day the kids say, you know, I'm out of here. I'm not doing this. I'm leaving. I'm done. And they go. Well, the Lord's not like that. He doesn't force us. Instead, what he does is he speaks to us. You know, that's the most precious thing in the world. The word of God. God sends his word to his people. And it's by means of his word, what he does is he spells out the consequences of the choices that you make. You can do this or that, the Lord says. And in the end of the day, it's your choice. You decide, you choose, you live. And the Lord says, you get the consequences of the choices that you make. Well, it's very, he's very stark with his people here, brothers and sisters. He says, the truth is that some people are going to burn. There's a fire. It's a furnace. And those who are wicked, they're going to get burned up like stubble. But there's other people who take it to heart. And they change. They want to be different. And they want to live a different life. And if you change, if you take it to heart, then the Lord says, then those are the people for whom he's going to extend his grace. He's going to show them his love and mercy. He's going to bring them into his kingdom. Well, the harsh words, brothers and sisters, it's not only meant for the Israelites long ago, but they're words that are also meant for us today. No one is going to force you to serve God. God says, you choose. And then you get what you got coming. I preached to you the Lord's word under this theme, words, words, words. The Lord responds with his own words to the words of his people. And so first we hear the hard words of the rebellious. Then we hear the faithful words of the, of the God-fearing and finally, the confronting and the loving words of the Lord. Our text starts off by God calling, those, calling out those who are apathetic towards him. He says it clearly in verse 13, Your words against me, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? God's coming to his people and he's saying to them, people, you've said some pretty harsh things against me. You think it's a waste of time to serve me. You think there's no benefit in doing what I tell you or in repenting of your sin. 
If you think about it here, brothers and sisters, it's really quite something what the Lord says to us. He reveals what's going on in the inner recesses of these people's hearts. He's giving us a little glimpse as to what really motivates them when push comes to shove. And what really motivates them is that at core, these people viewed their relationship with God as a commercial agreement. You are God, and we have a relationship with you, and if we do what what you say, then we expect you to live up to your side of the deal, and that you look after us, and you bless us, and you provide for us. And if you don't look after us, then we don't need to serve you. And if you don't do what we think is fair, then no deal. Then we're out of here. There's no love. There's no relationship. There's no understanding of what God said at the very beginning. He says that you are my sons. He calls them his son. You don't understand that it's a family relationship, that the Lord cares deeply for them that he wants relationship with them. He doesn't want their stuff, but he wants their hearts. He wants them to love him and to care about him and to serve him as an act of their devotion. From their side, there was no heart. There was no love. There was no relationship. It was just a deal. Well, if you understand this motive, brothers and sisters, then you can make sense of the rest of the book. If you go back and you start in chapter 1 and you read through the book, then the Lord, time and again, he calls his people out for all sorts of different things. And here you see what really stands underneath of it all. Right at the very beginning, the people said, God, you don't love us. And God said to them, he said, what are you talking about, I don't love you? He says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. I've shown my love to you because you are my family. I chose you and I promised to go the distance with you. And if you want to know what it means if I hate you, then look at Esau because he's going to be totally destroyed. And I'm never going to do that to you. And then the second way in which their apathy came out is that they offered God the blind, the lame, and the sick animals. They knew that they were supposed to do it. They had to come to worship him. They had to give him the sacrifices. And so they thought about it and they said, well, I know the perfect win-win. I'll take all the sick and the the garbage animals out of my herds and flocks. I'll call them out. I'll bring them to the Lord and I'll offer them as sacrifices. That way I can check the box. I've done what I need to do. The Lord is happy. And that way I also have a really good herd and a really good flock that keeps growing. Well, the Lord says, he says, give me a break. He says, try to do that with your governor. Try to give these sick animals to your governor and see what he does with you. Again, God shows there's no love. There's no respect. There's no heart. And in chapter 2, the Lord shows how bad it gets. And it goes right to the top. The priests were in on it. They didn't fear God. They didn't stand in awe of his name. They didn't rightly teach his statutes, his commands, his ordinances to the people. Now God says they judged with partiality. They made judgments that worked for them so that they could get what they wanted. And they twisted the law in order to to suit their needs. And then God gives a couple of real examples of that. These people got divorced when they felt like it. And they got married to foreign women. 
They didn't maintain the boundaries. They didn't understand that they are the holy people of God. They didn't understand the, the call to faithfulness that the Lord put upon them. And so in the end, they ended up doing whatever they wanted. And in chapter 3, they went a step further. It really gets down to the heart of it. Chapter 3, we're told that instead of bringing in the full tithe, they skimped. And so God called it out. And he says, quit robbing me. He says, give me what I deserve. Give me the tithe. Show me that you love me. Show me that you trust me. Show me that I'm your God and that you are my people. Well, do you see how twisted they were in their thinking, brothers and sisters? They treated God as if he owed them. It was the ultimate entitlement. At the end of the day, their worship was not about God. It was about honoring the Lord, about fearing the Lord, about respecting the Lord. It wasn't putting him in the center of their lives. At the end of the day, they were in it for themselves. It was about them. But what they could get, and they were willing to deal with God as long as they benefited. And it was in their best interests. Do you understand the hard words? Sound familiar? You know, it's really easy to fall into the mindset where you feel entitled, brothers and sisters. As long as you tick the boxes, then God should be happy with you. And he should do whatever it is that you think he, you deserve. And if you're in that mindset, then sometime you get to a situation where it's really hard days. You get into the situation where someone exploits you. A classmate makes fun of you. You're in this situation where your business doesn't work out the way that you expect it. And then you think to yourself, well, that's not what I signed up for. Think, God, what are you doing? How can you do this to me? How can you let this happen to me? And the really sad thing is, the more entitled you feel, often the less love you have in your heart. And there's a continuum. It's very easy, the more entitled you feel, the more sin that you feel that you should be allowed to pursue and that you give within your life. But within our culture, the biggest gods of our time is, is love of self and love of money and love of pleasure and a love of comfort. And that's the gods that the people around us serve. And it's so easy for us to go on the same thing. And so it... It's easy to think, brothers and sisters, that it's about me, and it's about my rights, my right to an education, or my right to a certain lifestyle, or my right to health care, or my right to respect. And people live the dream. They live for the weekend. And they expect everyone and everything to serve them and to make sure that they get the life that they want. And you don't hear much about a sense of duty, about a sense of responsibility, about a calling to serve, and about the demands to love those around you. It's the air we breathe. And so the question becomes, to what extent has it leaked into your thinking? 
It's a really dangerous place to be, brothers and sisters. It's not what the Lord wants for you. Because if you're in that place, then Malachi 4 verse 1, the Lord tells you where it ends. He says that the day is coming like a burning oven and that all the evildoers will be like stubble. If it's all about you, if it's not about God, but if you are in the center of your life, then God says, one day, you're going to burn. And he says, the fire you should think of here, it's a furnace. He said, you should think more of a forest fire than a campfire. If you think of a forest fire that burns hot, that creates its own ecosystem, that sucks, you have this huge fire load, and it sucks all the energy, and it sucks everything into it, and by the time this fire is done burning, you come back, and from the, from the tip of the tree, from the crown of the tree down to its roots, there's literally nothing left. There's only ashes. And that's what the Lord says. He says in this fire, he says, the only thing that's left is a pile of ashes. Well, that's not what your father wishes for you, brothers and sisters. The Lord has no joy in the death of the sinner. He doesn't want you to rest under his judgment. He says, you are my sons and daughters. Jacob have I loved. He says, you belong to me, and I want a relationship with you. I am your father, and I care about you, and I desire to know you and to love you and to walk with you. And so what the Lord does is, is he sends his word. He sends his messenger Malachi to them. And Malachi calls out their sin for what it is, and he calls them to repent. He says, there is a way forward and then after Malachi, the Lord sends John the Baptist, and he calls them to repent. He sends the Christ. He sends his apostles. He sends his ministers. He sends his elders. He sends his parents into your life. And he says, there is a way forward. It is the way of repentance. It's the way of acknowledging that you have sinned, that you recognize your sin for what it is, that you mourn over it, and that you seek the grace of God. You know, thankfully, Malachi tells us that not everyone is apathetic. There are among God's people those who dearly love the Lord. And that's, it's important to understand this distinction. What Malachi is talking about here in this chapter, he's not talking about wicked people out there who are Gentiles who are not part of the church versus some people who are in the church. No, he's talking about the church. He's talking about the covenant community of Israel, the believers who lived four centuries before the coming of Christ. And among this church, he says, there are many apathetic who are going to burn. But he says, among the church, he says, there are also those who are faithful and hold the Lord in high regard. In verse 17, the Lord talks about these people. It says, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Well, what defines these people? They are those who feared the Lord. It wasn't about them. It wasn't about their comfort or their pleasure or their money. It was about the Lord. They feared God. They held him in high regard. They had great awe, great respect for his majesty. And then when it says there that they talked together, you kind of have to wonder, well, well, what did they say? When they talked, what was, what was the conversation that they had? It's quite striking, we're not, we're not told. 
But we do know of other places where the people of God spoke together. Maybe it's something like that. Think 1 Samuel 23, 16. Jonathan comes to David. And the scripture says, he strengthened his hand in God. He strengthened him to know God. To rely on him. Or maybe they're like the believers in Ezekiel 9, verse 4, who sighed and groaned over the abominations that were done in Israel. These believers, they had a mark that was put on their foreheads before the day of God's judgment came on on Israel. Or maybe they're like the believers in Act 4 who met together to remind each other of the message of the gospel and to encourage each other when they faced persecution by the Sanhedrin and the leaders of the Jews. The sense that you get in our passage here is that these people met together to encourage one another in their service of God. It's in that context that the Lord says that a book of remembrance was written about them. You know, sometimes you're in that place, brothers and sisters, when all sorts of people around you are proud and selfish, and they're in it for themselves. They're lying and stealing and taking advantage of others, and they seem to get away with it. You're the person who's trying to do what's right. You're honest. You're forthright. You speak the truth. And other people, they don't appreciate that. You're mocked. You're ridiculed. You get passed by for promotion. You end up losing your job. Someone threatens to sue you for what you say and what you do. It seems that the wicked get away with what they do. And that when you do the right thing, that no one notices. It's really striking. God says here, he says, don't ever think that nobody notices. When you do the right thing, the Lord says that there is a book of remembrance that is written of what you do. Just a minute from now, we're going to sing from Psalm 56. It's the Psalm of David. He's fleeing from Saul. He goes to the country, the Philistines. You know, he's... He's had to run and run and run and run. He's been on the, on the run for years. And he's just so tired of it all. And then he prays to God. But then in the midst of that, in Psalm 56 verse 8, he says, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Lord, you have kept count of my tossing and turning. You've seen me and all the sleepless nights that I've had. You've marked down the things that have happened to me. and You've written them down in your book. David's saying, I know, Lord, that you do see, that you do take it in hand, that you do care. The Lord actually says, he says, there is a day coming when that book is going to be opened. In Daniel 7, verse 10, you have the Ancient of Days who's seated on the throne. And then you have the Son of Man who's brought into his presence, and then we're told at that time that books will be opened, and he will pass judgment on everything that has ever been done. That's also what the Lord Jesus Christ tells us. The Apostle John, he has this vision, Revelation chapter 20. He's standing before the throne of God, and books were opened, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they have done. Everything that you've ever done gets written down in a book, brothers and sisters. Now, the day is coming when the Lord will punish the wicked. 
and he will vindicate the righteous according to what has been written down. If you want to read a bit more about that, you can read later on today sometime. You can dig out Belgian Confession, Article 36. In the last part of that article, it talks about how exactly this happens. And do you know what it says then? In Malachi 3.16, the Lord says of those who fear him, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. I will spare them. They will be mine. There's no judgment. There's no punishment. God says, you belong to me, and I'm going to take care of you. And then the Lord uses this word, It's a really unique word. He says that his people will be his treasured possession. In the ancient Near East, it was a word that's used to describe either a a private hoard that someone has, or usually it was an economic term. It was some, some special treasure that they owned. And it's actually used that way two times in the Bible. But most of the time in the Old Testament, the way this word is used is that it's used of the Israelites. That these are the people who are God's treasured possession. This is his very special treasure. In Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6, the Lord says of the Israelites that they are his special treasure, his holy nation, his kingdom of priests. Well, those who fear the Lord, those who love him, those who are faithful to him, those who know him, God says these are the people who are his special possession. They're his unique treasure. They're very dear to him. It's the most precious thing that he has. If you put the Lord in the center of your life, brothers and sisters, if you fear God, you hold him in high regard, you are the most precious thing that he has. That you are very dear to him. And God talks about a special blessing that's going to come your way. Verse 2, but for you who fear my name... The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like cows from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. God says, of you, my treasured possession, he says, you are mine. And I'm going to protect you and I'm going to preserve you. You're going to survive and the wicked are going to burn. And he uses this image of the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. You will also feel the heat, but it will be the gentle warming of the sun that provides healing and that provides life to you. The sun of God's righteousness is going to shine in the darkness and it's going to bring blessing into your life. It will vindicate all those who trusted in the Lord, it will grant them the peace and rest that they always longed for. And then God uses this image. I'm not sure if you've ever seen the, the video, a video of that. You're going to be like a, a calf, a well-fed calf, a calf that's relieved from the stall. Sometimes you have the calves, they're, they're cooped up all winter inside the pen. The springtime comes and you let them out into the, into the fields. And they run around, and they're prancing around, they're kicking up their back feet, and they're so full of joy. And God says, that's you, my people. You're going to be like these calves. You're going to be so full of joy in the day of the Lord. 
It's going to be the most amazing thing. You're going to run and you're going to jump. And you're going to, your hearts are going to be filled with joy and gladness at the righteousness of God and at the vindication of your cause. Well, it's quite something, brothers and sisters. But it's really stark here. Those who are apathetic, those who give in to that apathy, he says at the end of the day, he says they come to judgment. They're going to burn. But he says, for those who fear me, for those who put me in the center of their lives, instead of putting themselves in the center of their lives, he says, then I'm going to bless you. I'm going to write down everything you've ever done. And I'm going to keep track of it. And I'm going to bless you for the faithful service that you offer. What raises the question, who are you, brothers and sisters? Which of these camps do you fall into? Think back to last week. God takes inventory of your life. He looks down at what you did this past week and he writes it all down in his book. And so what does he have written down there? Is it a heart that's filled with love for him? Is it delight in spending time with him? Is it joy in the gospel? Are you oriented towards the Lord? Do you trust him? Do you serve him? Remember a couple of months ago we were talking about shining your boots? You can shine your boots for the Lord Jesus. You can make a meal for the Lord Jesus. You can do your homework for the Lord Jesus. You can help somebody in the hospital for the Lord Jesus. Do you serve him in everything that you do? Or have you become apathetic? Are you ticking the boxes? Are you doing it because you have to? And are you grumpy at God when things don't go the way that you'd hoped or the way that you expected? You know, as an act of grace, the Lord comes to you this morning, brothers and sisters. He did it for the Israelites long ago. Through Malachi, he does it for you today. And he says that if you are apathetic, then you need to repent. You need to change. He says you have to acknowledge that. You have to plead with him for forgiveness. You have to ask him for his grace. The day is coming when the Lord will make a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. And what hope do we have? If you look back at all the apathy that you've ever had in the course of your life, what hope is there? Well, if you think about it, there's one, there's the great hope that the Lord gives you. That's the hope of the cross. When the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth, then he lived in perfect obedience to his Father. He literally did everything that the Father wanted of him. He loved his Father, and he served his Father, and he feared his Father. And in everything, at every time, he obeyed his Father. He, he did the statutes and the commands that the Lord expected of him. The question is, what did it profit him? What did he get for it? That's what the people asked of him. Near the end of his life, they arrested him. They beat him. They crucified him, and he's hanging on the cross. And it seemed that it was a total joke. They looked at the Lord Jesus, and they said, If you are the Son of God... 
Come down now from the cross and we will believe in you. What profit did he have for all the faithful service that he offered? Well, it profited him the wrath of God. He got the judgment of God. He got the hatred of God. But he tells us that he did it for us. When he's hanging on the cross, that he says the words, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. And he says it for us. He lived the perfect life for you, brothers and sisters, because you don't. And he bore the cross for you, because that's what you deserve. He loves you. Too emotional today. He really loves you. He loves you very dearly. You are his people. You are his treasured possession. He wants a life with you. He wants a future with you. And so he sent his son to pay the price for your apathy. He took all your apathy upon himself. And he bore the curse of God against that. And then he lived the perfect life of obedience for you. He did everything that was required of you. And so our hope, your hope, my hope, is that we look to the Lord Jesus, that we confess our apathy to him, that we tell him how often and in how many ways we have failed, and that we trust him to do it for us. And you do that, brothers and sisters, and you share, then he lives in you. Then he'll give you his spirit to make you into a new person. Then you understand his grace towards you. You understand his love for you. And then he changes you. Then the spirit makes you into someone who really loves him, who really fears him, who serves him with, with everything that you have. Then when you hear a minister preach today, you take it to heart. And you believe it. And you change. And you become a new person. And then the apathy that happened last week and the week before, it's not there in the same way next week and the week after. The Lord, through his spirit, he recreates you and he draws you close to him. He is your father. Jacob, have I loved. He wants a future with you, brothers and sisters. So believe and trust. Amen. We're going to sing two songs. First, we're going to sing from Psalm 56 about the, the tears in the bottle. Psalm 56, the verses 1, 3, and 4. Then at the end of the service, we're going to sing about the, the blessing that God gives and the special treasure and possession that his church is, hymn 52. But first, Psalm 56, the verses 1, 3, and 4.
Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. In our prayer this morning, we're going to remember brother and sister Dathan and Katrina Plater. It's going to be our last Sunday, their last Sunday together with us. On Wednesday, they leave to go back to Canada. So we'll ask God for a blessing for them and the decisions they need to make. We'll also remember our brother Pete Sebum and also sister Maria Husenga. So their brother Brian passed away in Tasmania this past week. Um, they found him in his bed. And so we will pray to the Lord that the Lord comfort the family during this time. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we come to you, Lord, and we confess that at times we are apathetic. There are times where our lives are all about us. We've taken in the, the thinking of our culture, and we put ourselves in the center of our lives. It's our comfort, our pleasure, it's our money, it's but our desires. And Lord, we, we realize how offensive that is to you. You are the Lord. You are the one who made us. You're the one who gives us all things. You're the one who looks out for us. You're the one who saves us from our sins. You're the one who sent his son to die on the cross for us. And at times, Lord, we, are, we treat you so lightly. We treat you as if, as if you're nothing. And we put ourselves in the center of our lives. And Lord, we're sorry about that. We're sorry about breaking your commandments. We're sorry about the ways in which we twist things to our own advantage. We're sorry about the times where where we haven't loved you and we haven't served you as we ought. We're sorry about the days when we don't come to church and worship you because we couldn't be bothered. We're sorry, Lord, about the, the ways in which we cheated and exploited and taken advantage of others, about the lies and the deception that we've offered, that we've said. We ask, Lord, that you forgive us for all our sins, that you forgive us for our covetousness, and that you show us mercy for Jesus' sake. Father, we believe that Jesus Christ lived the righteous life. We believe that he was perfect. We believe that he, he also suffered the wrath for our sins, that he willingly took our curse upon himself. He burned in hell in order to save us from that judgment. And so we pray, Father, that, that you would please forgive us for all our sins, that you, that you apply the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ to our account. Father, at the same time, we pray that you would please help us to, to turn to you in faith. Help us to create a culture in our families and in our church and among our friends where you are great, where we honor you and where we love you. Father, thank you also for warning us that where we refuse to do so, if we continue in our apathy and if we don't repent of our sins, then in the end you tell us that there is a day of judgment coming the great and awesome day of the Lord. And on this day, that all who have rebelled against you will burn. And you will condemn them to an eternal judgment in hell. And you will give them their just deserts. Father, we pray that you would spare us from this. We pray that none of us may be missing on the great day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please hold on to us, and please do it for Jesus' sake. Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your words of admonition. Thank you for the love and for the, for the grace that you extend to us. Thank you for the preaching of the gospel. Pray then also that you please help us to, to put it into practice. We also want to pray that you take care of us, each one of us, in the individual circumstances of our lives. I want to ask you, Lord, that you please be with our brother and sister Sebum.
and also our sister Maria Huizinga, and also their families, as they also grieve the death of their brother. Father, we, we don't know the, the truth of his life. We don't know the, the circumstances that he was in, but you do. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would please comfort our family, the family. We ask, Father, that you would be near to them, that you grant them your, your kindness and your grace and your love. Father, please hold on to them and show them mercy. Grant that they may remember the steadfast promises that you've extended to them and grant that they may be comforted by your, your love for them. Please be the Holy Spirit, be the paraclete, the, the encourager, the comforter for this family. Your Father in heaven, there's many others in our church as well who grieve the loss of loved ones. We want to ask that you also comfort them and that you be near to them, that you carry them through their, through their lives and that you give them what they need. We're so thankful, Lord, that death is, is not the end, but that there is a resurrection from the dead, that there's an eternal life in store for us, and that we may know that those who died in the Lord, that one day we get to be together with them, and we get to see you, and we get to see them, and we earnestly look forward to that great day. Dear Father in heaven, we also pray that you take care of the members of our congregation who have specific health concerns. There are many elderly people in our congregation who need you in special ways. Please surround them with your love and grace, and please hold on to them. I also want to pray, Lord, for our brother and sister, Dathan and Katrina Plater. We're so thankful for the service that they can offer here in our congregation. Thank you so much, Lord, for making this possible. And thank you for the blessing that you've given to them. Thank you that Dathan could faithfully preach the gospel, that he could also teach your people, and that it could be a great encouragement for us to live by faith. We now then trust them to your throne of grace, Lord. They're hoping to travel back to Canada, and they need to make some decisions about calls. I want to pray that you make it clear to them, that you lead them with your spirit to make a decision that honors you, that's good for your church, that also is a blessing for them. Please give them clarity. Please grant that they can find peace with the decision. Father, thank you for, for all their love for us as well, that you worked in their hearts and that they're able to show that within our congregation. Please sanctify the work that they have done and please shine your face upon them. And then, Father, we also, also want to entrust to you the the decision that I've made about the calls that I have received. I want to pray for your blessing over that as well. But it's a, it's a sad thing to leave the congregation here in Southern River. I want to thank you for all the love that you've given to us, that we may love each other from the heart. That as pastor, I'm able to preach the gospel to your people that many ways that, that, that went well, that it's well received. Thank you so much for all the love that your people have had for me and for our family. Lord, that's a real kindness. We want to honor you for that. We want to thank you for that. I want to pray for a blessing over the decision as well. I want to pray for the congregation, Lord, that you surround them with your love and care and that you look after them. Thank you that you are their God. And thank you that the Holy Spirit is the one who gathers the church, that Jesus Christ is the king who's seated on the throne, and that it is your work and it is your church and you love your people. At the same time, Lord, I pray for, for a blessing over the time that we have together that we may have a blessed time, and that, that this may to be to your honor and your glory. And also pray, Lord, for, for the other congregations. We think of Albany. They, they don't have a minister yet, and they're looking forward to having a minister. We pray that in due time that you provide them with their own pastor and teacher. And we also pray, Father, for the Church of Carter Brook, that, that this may be a blessing, that, that I can also help and encourage them to know you and to love you. 
Father, thank you that we may pray these things to you. Thank you for being our Father. Please forgive us for all our sins, and please hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, you now have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord. The collection this morning is for the Ministry of Mercy. You may have seen in the last couple of days the deacons sent through a notice to you in which they um, just informed you that, that there are some needs within our congregation, and so they asked if you're able to also support those who are in need. So pray that you would also show your love to the Lord in this way. After the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 52, the verses 1, 3, and 4.
Receive now the blessing of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.